are listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert and Jessie Lee, a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join us every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. Hi, Manufactured listeners. We feel obligated to start this episode with a bit of a disclaimer. Though we normally split our conversations with guests into two standalone parts, our conversation with Edwin is an exception. If you haven't listened to part one of our conversation with Edwin Ke, we recommend going back and listening to it before digging into this episode. This episode is thanks to the generous support of the GIZ Fabric Project. The GIZ Fabric Project is commissioned by the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development and supports the Asian textile industry in its transformation towards fair production for people and the environment. The Fabric Project does a lot of really great work, and one of their many initiatives is the online seminar series Getting Through the Crisis Together, Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry. It was through our collaboration with the Fabric Project that we had the immense good fortune of connecting with our guest today, Edwin Kerr. Back in November 2020, Edwin was a speaker on the 11th seminar within the Getting Through the Crisis Together series, which aimed to take stock of where the industry is now, more or less one year into the pandemic. All the seminars are free and available online, and we highly recommend checking them out. We'll put a link in the show notes. In part one of this conversation, Edwin offered some context for his own professional choices, why he landed at the Hong Kong Research Institute of Textiles and Apparel, commonly referred to as HK Rita. He also offers a helpful framework for making sense of supply chains, dividing them into physical, financial, and data supply chains. He shares why he's most excited about the data supply chain and why he thinks it has the potential to disrupt the industry. Specifically, how will the way the industry forecasts change? And how will this shape the way supply chain actors evolve and collaborate? This episode picks up right where part one left off. If forecasts are moving away from past-oriented regression models, and if a rapidly changing world is making it harder and harder for brands to accurately forecast, what comes next? Edwin shares his thoughts on predictive analytics and how this will shape brand and supplier roles. This sets the stage for some even bigger questions, like what will it take for brands and suppliers to take the long-term view? How do we get to a place where brands and suppliers behave more like they're on the same team? And how do we get beyond the transactional nature of brand-supplier relationships? If you are on Instagram, please follow us to help us grow the conversation at manufactured underscore podcast. Or sign up to our weekly newsletter instead on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com to find out what we're reading, what we're thinking, and what we're wishing. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our homepage. To find out more about the GIZ Fabric Project and the seminar series Getting Through the Crisis Together, Asian Dialogues on Sustainability in the Textile and Garment Industry, check out the links we've put in our show notes. And finally, don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and hit subscribe. If what brands are bringing to the table is an understanding of consumer behavior and an ability to, you know, relative to everyone else in the fashion supply chain, our best place to predict what people are going to buy, but at the same time, their ability to predict that is 
becoming weaker and weaker because fashion is no longer top down in terms of, you know, what what's going to be in style because the people's preferences are changing more quickly, etc. So if if that's what brands sort of were bringing to the table and if they're getting worse and worse at being able to forecast and predict demand, what do you see as replacing regression analysis right. and also how do you see that then impacting the role of brands within this right. ecosystem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and this is a question that, uh, a, you know, the mice always think it's a good idea to put a bell on the cat. The question is, who's going <laughs> to cool. do it, right? So so I, I think it's that sort of question we, we have right here. I think there's there's like a, a short, medium and long term uh, answer to this. Um, the long term is to change the, the, the business, you know, uh, uh, you know, make on demand or 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 very uh, highly customized uh, very very rapid very agile supply chains that you know take a lot of the technologies uh, solutions new type of materials 3d printing uh, um, uh, and take a, and use different tools uh, um, social media based uh, analytics uh, to, to to drive um, to towards more uh, accuracy right I think we know, we know that. The the, the 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 so that's the long term. I think the medium term is is to have better tools. So so this is the we have to begin by acknowledging that there are a lot even though we have a lot of sunk costs, a lot of systems don't work, and we have to we have to figure out how to how to how to work very quickly to to get better tools in. And don't forget also if you talk to most major brands uh, and retailers around the world, you ask them. Which is your fastest growing uh, marketplace? They're going to say China, and, with, and if you're going to ask them which is their second fastest growing place, they're probably going to say India. So, so and these are countries that, that marketplaces that go by very different rules. And if these are the the your your customers of the future, you have to figure out how to do this in multilingual environments as well as just looking at what's happening on Facebook. It's 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 complicated. So there's a lot of developmental tools that we need to start playing around with. The good news is that the existing tools are so bad that all you have to do is to make some incremental improvements and, and you're there, right? And you're, you're saving, you know, 30 years ago, discount rates of, of discount percentage of, of most retailers are in, in very low double digits or single digits. It's just, we just sell everything that, that, that we put out um, uh, in, in, in our shops. Today, it's probably 50, 60% of everything that, that, that we sell. So if you can just lower that percentage by, by, by an incremental amount, it's all money in the bank. So, so lots of time, lots of opportunities to develop more useful tools. The short-term, uh, I, I think, solution um, is to is to really engage third parties to share the risk. I don't think brands have the financial ability or the wherewithal to to figure out how to how to manage or solve these risks anymore. One is that tech, technical. A chasm. They just don't understand uh, uh, the the uh, the whole manufacturing process anymore. Um, and 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 then and then two. I, I think they are, um, you know, they're they're maxed out. They they don't have they don't have money in the bank to write letters of credit anymore. There is no credit in in, in, in a lot of these companies. So so there must be th third parties, insurance, uh, reinsurance companies, 
and and importers who could come in and say, you know, basically factors, if you will, will come in and say, well, I'm I'm going to I'm going to assign a a risk to this, and I'm going to to be the 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 service provider for that risk. Uh, um, now that could be in house. I mean, there, there are people who can who can do that, but but you have to build that in. That's another one or two percent on 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 the overall cost. But you certainly shouldn't, uh, and it's just it, it's just not ethical to push all that risk to the to the weakest uh, part of your supply chain and, and have the, the 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 workers and 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 the people who who who, who the most ill afford most vulnerable. Uh, have them take on all the risk because you screwed up. Right? That's just unconscionable. So, so we have to we have to figure out that if there's a there's a way that we can we can figure out how to how to leverage uh, and how to how to offset that risk with with, uh, uh, with, with some organized mechanism. But but you know what I mean I, I think the the important the important thing is that we we all know where which way is the ideal. The the discussion and the conversation should be. How do we pave that road so that we can get there, so that all of us can? can be, because I think at the end of the day, at the end of the pandemic, what we want is we want an ecosystem that is intact. Right? If you are a, a retailer and you can open up shop and, and, and your customers are coming back, but all your suppliers are dead, you have nothing to sell. Right? Or if you're a manufacturer and you are able to push all your orders out and, and make your customers pay for everything, but at the end of the pandemic, your customer is dead, then you, you have nobody to sell to. We have to think that we're, you know, get to this picture. We're not on different sides of the table. We're on the same sides of the table. It is to all of our best interests that all of us survive. How can we help each other do that? Yeah, it's something I've been thinking about a lot because I think with all these talk about about the canceled orders, which, you know, as you say, was mm, in many ways, on the one hand, unconscionable because it, it puts the risk, it loads the risk on the most vulnerable part of the supply chain and because ultimately it's it's workers who pay the price for that. And so there's been understandably and, and rightly a lot of outrage about that. On the other hand, as you also say, in the long term, it doesn't help suppliers for brands to take on inventory that they also cannot sell. And so and so that's sort of been one of the questions that's been floating around in my head is what would it have or what would it take if you imagine an alternate world in what sort of conditions or circumstances would suppliers have taken that long term view? Because the bottom line was that because they're fronting the cost of production in advance, they're, you know, paying for the raw materials, they're paying worker salaries way before they ever get payment from their cost from the brand, they have no cash. And so there was an immediate panic and crisis because their cash flows were so tight to begin with, that I think that really prevented suppliers from being able to, you know, from being able to take this more long-term view, because they they weren't they weren't going to get through the net through the month. Agreed, agreed. And, and 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 just as the people who succumb in a pandemic are people with pre-existing conditions, this pandemic just highlighted the weakness, which is exactly what you what you are talking about, which is this this house of cards that we have built. That that is that is all uh, very cash flow driven, if you will. Um, every the, the the manufacturer survives because 
uh, or does business with this these brands because they know that they will that, that they will pay their bills, and then that will pay for the the next set of orders and everything else. So as long as the ball keeps rolling, they're healthy. But there there is and because the ball keeps rolling, nobody looks around to to, to assess the real risks and the issues that are out there. So inaccuracy uh, is 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 a huge one. And then the other one, I, I think, is this transactional nature of, of this relationship in the first place. Think about, um, th- think about different other industries. For instance, in the car industry, on the steel industries, Toyota hasn't changed suppliers in 30 years. You know, and, 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 and you don't, if you, if you buy from a steel mill, you buy from that, that steel mill forever and ever, uh, because, it, it's so capital intensive and so heavy to build another steel mill that you 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 wouldn't think of of uh, you have no option but to work with, with with that mill. And then in the case of Toyota, because they are so um, they, they're so the, the partnership is so strong that that these companies would if Toyota says I'm going to open up uh, a, a new factory in in uh, in Kenya or something like that. Their entire supply chain goes with them. Everybody will go and invest and, and build factories to make wheels, to make transmit transitions, uh, uh, to to make seats and whatever for you. So, so in these in- industries, we have very strong relationship-based supply chains. And you contrast it with our industry, which is very, um, very, uh, it's, it's very transactional and, and as opposed to very relational. Why is that? So there's a framework again uh, to to think about this, and, and one of them is that when you have when you have relationship-based um, supply chains, they usually are very service and very capital intensive, because and they they make for very very stable relationships. And when you have very transactional uh, supply chains, it's only mostly based on price. Nobody looks at the the label to see whether the T-shirt is made in Pakistan or Bangladesh or China or Vietnam, because that a white T-shirt is a white T-shirt, and that's the problem with manufacturers in our supply chain right now. They have become a tradable commodity. So so as soon as the next country can 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 get five cents cheaper, their customer is gone. So uh, that is a very unstable relationship. So the key is to build much stabler relationship. So you can either do that with technology, you you add all sorts of uh, uh, high tech uh, types of uh, spinning, weaving, dyeing, uh, uh, automated sewing machines that only you have or only you can afford, and therefore for the customer to make these high tech products, they'll have to go to you. So so that's one route, and and there are and there are uh, uh, companies and, and manufacturers who are able to to do that, especially in the intimate apparel. Uh, side of the of, of the world and in the footwear side of the world, you know, Nike and Adidas maybe only have three or four big suppliers, and those are quite stable relationships because of the technology in the material and in the manufacturing process. So that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is to create all these services to to, to really be strong in the in, in the data supply chain. I was talking to a, a particularly healthy supplier recently about how they got through uh, so you know, so well in the, in the middle of the pandemic. And the, the owner sort of laughed at me and said, we've stopped making money uh, selling products a long time ago. All of our, our value is, is in the services. 
We have convinced our customers that we will do the store pack for them. We will do the allocation for them. We will manage the inventory for them. We will, we are their distributor and, and, and their, uh, we will do uh, replenish funds for them. We have gotten to a point in which we are doing test orders for them. So we, if, if white doesn't sell, we will write ourselves a purchase order blue and, and, and says once a month, we send our customer reverse purchase orders. They basically manage everything for their customer and then their customer is happy because they, because they have much more transparent control over everything that happens to get the product into the store, right? They know how, how many pieces of material they have. They, 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 they of course, they, they're also getting point of sale information from, from, the, from the customer. So this is a, a sophisticated supplier that understood that that uh, uh, vendor management information uh, inventory and and all these other services are where the value is is happening and 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 their customer can't live without them uh, this particular supplier got so powerful and so important that the banks that the banks of their 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 uh, the brand that they serve one of the brands that they serve mandated that they get a seat on the board because they said, you know, you can live without the brand, but the brand can't live without you anymore. So we, we want to create some stability in this relationship. I think what we what suppliers need to do is to get into these types of useful, valuable relationships so that they can get to a point in which, you know, the, the, their customers' banks are demanding that they, 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 they go in and, and, and make sure that their company is healthy, their, their customers is, is healthy. Is it accurate to say, if I interpret or take away from that, that the reason in this particular example that this was possible, that the supplier was able to expand into all these various services? I, I, I'm trying to connect the anecdote you just described with what we were talking about earlier about changes in forecasting, access, access to data about consumer behavior. So is the reason why this supplier was able to do that because on the brand side, there was transparency over that sales data, over that inventory, over their inventory levels? Was that the enabling condition? Yes. yes. And they had the wherewithal, they developed the skill set to, to be able to sort of cross over and start looking at the consumer facing uh, uh, activities that were going on. They were able to support the, their customer. In, in everything up to the, the non-creative parts, all the non-creative, uh, uh, um, uh, activities, they were able to, to provide value to, to their customer. That's hard, right? Because, because that, that is a, a skill set that you have to develop, uh, which usually is out of the comfort zone of most manufacturers. Now it, it, it helps that they, most this, brands, I think, in yes. the sense that. To, to, for a brand to give up information about how well their products are selling to their supplier, well, I mean, it's quite comfortable for a brand to, you know, be able to say jump and the manufacturer jumps. And part of the reason for that is because the, the manufacturer doesn't have access to that information. So, yeah, yeah. No? But, you know, that that hasn't been the case for many years. It's just this we've got this pretense that goes on. I, I think what happened is that we still have an oversupply. There's still too many manufacturers, and 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 the the uh, and the demand side is still constrained. So, so there are there are still um, at the commodity end of the business, there are still these unequal relationships. 
But if you get into the right niche or if you create certain strengths in your business, capabilities in your business, so that you are able to service these uh, uh, your customers' demands, I, I think it's a virtuous cycle. All of the new customers that this particular manufacturer is getting are people that say, hey, you know, I, I, I don't have the time or I don't have the warehouse. Or I don't have the capability to manage all this stuff. Can you do all the back of house for me? And they say, sure, we'll do that. Uh, there's also another supplier that, that, that I met with recently who specializes in supporting startups. You know, guys, two guys who want who have this idea for the greatest pair of denim jeans ever or, or, or people who have the, want to make the most comfortable T-shirt or whatever. So they say, we'll support everything. And you, you just keep coming up with the idea and you keep managing the brand and we'll, we'll do the back end for it. And for startups, this is great, right? They don't have the, they can't go into a big supplier and say, can you make 60 pieces of this? They'll get laughed out of the building. But they say, we'll do all that. We'll aggregate, you know, you know they, they, they aggregate all of our customers and we can go and find the suppliers for you and we can provide all these services for you. Uh, and 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 in the end, they they also can charge a a, uh, a high premium for for those types of services. It's it's not it's a working smart, not working hard uh, type of challenge, uh, and it's it's a moving out of our our comfort zone and and, and creating new value uh, type types uh, of challenge. It's um, also a framework uh, framework thing you discussed at the beginning of the interview because I think for many for most of manufacturers we get used to think about efficiency and the productivity you know the development yes. of technology increases the efficiency and in some cases yeah. of course it increases productivity too and that unfortunately bring down the cost of production well, it's a, it's a good news for brands, but it's a bad news for manufacturers as it starts a bad competition. So everyone now compete on produce more quicker at a lower cost. And that makes brands every season, they just want to buy cheaper because they know it's possible. You just need to find yeah. the cheaper labor, cheaper materials and increase your efficiency. So that is a, a way of thinking for long time for manufacturers. And what, what you described just now is, Switch this way of thinking because it's uh it's it's not good for for both sides. Yeah. So it, it's not good for anybody. It's not good yeah, for anybody. It's not good for anybody. So better use technology to um, reorganize the whole manufacturing process. Reorganize means yeah. if, for instance, if better to have a garment factory, for instance, in China than in Cambodia, <laughs> because all the raw materials are mostly supplied not not from. Cambodia. If you have a garment factory in Cambodia, basically your supply chain is longer, your logistic is longer, so your speed is lower, your speed of supply is lower. But if you have a garment factory in China, of course, your labor cost is much higher, all the other costs are higher, but your supply speed might be shorter. But in that way, you are providing a service, not providing a cheap product. But to do yeah. that switch also requires brands to think differently. They need to... Uh, yeah, both sides needs to switch this yeah. way of thinking. I, I I think it's absolutely right. I mean, what what you're saying. I mean, there are there are certain artificial constraints that we have here that we just live with for for no good reason. And uh, so so what are some of the constraints and one of the one of the errors in the framework? One of one of the, the fundamental ones that you just brought up is that low FOB price is good. 
Well, who cares what the FOB price is? Shouldn't it be the profitability that we should be thinking about? Is it at the end, if we can, if we can only sell 30% at, at full price and then we have to discount our way out of trouble at the, at the end, or we have to hang on to inventory for a really long time, isn't that, have we done that, that, that analytic work that says maybe we should reward people on that cost of ownership and, and, and that, that customer service? customers coming in not finding what they're looking for and then we're trying to help we're trying to encourage them to switch or compromise by giving them you know by basically discounting our way out of trouble so so that's one fr- framework that we need to to rethink well, how can we make all make money uh, uh, more effectively together um, would, would be would be one one way to think about it because I think be- between how we reward our uh, our buyers, and and how we do our accounting we're reporting quarterly results you know uh and 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 we've always focused on the quarterly results rather than okay how are we going to create this brand that has uh uh, that that is distinctive and valuable and and can last a long long time uh and if we think about the brand equity then i think we would do things uh differently in 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 the short term um so so th- there are there are opportunities there to 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 adjust to to a different marketplace that we find ourselves in. I, I think also about your China comment is that you know the world has changed. General Motors sells more cars in China than they do in the United States. Um, why would you why would you abandon your 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 fastest growing and potentially your your, your biggest volume uh, marketplace? Uh, in the world, uh, um, and 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 go to other economies when eventually you have to figure out how to sell to into China uh, in in the first place, right? Uh, yeah. So 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 how we think of our, ourselves? Are we a global brand, uh, or are we are we a Western brand that happens to to sell things everywhere? I think is also important. What you've mentioned sort of gets into questions of, I think, also uh, ownership structures, how we define and think about obligations to shareholders and, uh, you know, whether we as an industry can get beyond a very narrow and short term understanding of obligations to shareholders. And I'm curious as we pro- as you project into the future, one of the things we've heard you say elsewhere or the question we've heard you put to people is, you know, how do we consume within the planetary confines so that we can still have 300 to 400 million more middle-class citizens in the world? And one of the ideas that we've heard you put forward is some sort of sharing economy and which really gets gets at the heart of these questions about ownership. So what does this look like for you? What does a brand yeah. look like in that world? Yeah, what does the, a factory look like? What do the, workers look like? Are they still employees even? I, I think a couple of things there. Um, one, we have to sh- struggle with this question of what is sustainable consumption, right? And what does that look like in, in our economy, in our world? When we have, uh, you know, 350 million Chinese going to be middle class and probably another 250 to 300 million Indians behind them in the next five, 10 years who are going into middle class, uh, you know, is that the Western, the Western model of consumption 
means that we just don't have enough cement, steel, or cotton to satisfy everybody. So, so what, what does that sustainable consumption look like? And then, and then, so, so is it, is it less, is it, is it different? It's different, but what does it look like? I think we have to collectively uh, uh, think about that one. And then secondly, I think this is the ownership versus stewardship idea, right? Right. Um, we are the, the, one of the first generations to think of textile apparel fashion as disposables and not as, as, as durables. What's interesting, I think, about what you're saying is it takes me back in some ways to where we started the conversation, where we talked about a physical supply chain, a financial supply chain, and a data supply chain. And what you're really talking about now seems to be, in some ways, focused back on this physical supply chain, on the product, um, on the product itself. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, ultimately. Uh, uh, this whole conversation is is around how do we how do we manage the the how do we get utility out of the, these these products and how do we get access to, to these products uh, would be one way to 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 look at it. But I, I think the other way to 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 think about this also is is to is to just have a paradigm shift about 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 how our relationship to to, to clothes in general. One of the one of the, the the arguments you hear in the marketplace is that all this consumption is is creating wealth in in these developing economies. If you look at a country like Bangladesh or, or Vietnam or, or Cambodia, that 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 whole manufacturing contract manufacturing uh, business it's what's creating a lot of wealth and getting people out of poverty. I think to a certain extent that's true, but what has happened is that we have we have created uh, these artificial marketplaces uh, so that we can continue to to build the volume of, of the stuff that, that that we're making in the absence of true demand and so what we need to do is figure out you know balance out what that what that is because it's not only that that prices are going down but volumes are, are going up and we are consuming much more in the physical supply chain and we're coming to the, the the constraints, right? This is why these sustainability and the ecology and and global warming types of issues are are coming up is because we are we are running out of things, uh, and we're using too much a resource to build things that are unnecessary. Uh, and 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 what we need to do is to is to uh, rethink what the, what the new economy looks like. For brands, this is the this is the the brutal fact that they have to deal with. There will be winners and losers. There will be those who will survive, you know, especially after this pandemic, and there will be those that that have no value in the eyes of the of the customer, and they will no longer exist. And and what brands have to do is to decide which side of that uh, uh, they want to be on, and then if they want to continue to to uh, to be in the marketplace, what is my value proposition? Why should I buy my? Why should I buy the goods that you're selling me? And they have to answer, be able to have a powerful answer to that question. It's very interesting what you talk about. As uh, again, I was thinking about this is a, a framework, a, sh- uh, a framework changing. And when you think about shared economy, no matter what you shared is clothes or or a flat or 
or cars, let's say, no matter what you share with, it's the purpose is not to occupy those materials. And, yeah, yeah. And we are we are on this uh, on this point of crisis on this uh, changing. So I can feel there is uh, atmosphere or there is a spirit switching in the society, uh, no matter where we where we go or where we come from. There is a switching. So if yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. if brands can capture the spirit of this switching from producing, uh, how to say, producing more or or making or building up more volumes, switching to something else. I, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. If nothing else, this pandemic has taught us that that it it it's not it's not we don't want more cheap things. We want more valuable things. Right. We and and we we want to be we have this lifestyle challenge in front of us now. We want to be healthy. All right. And, and being healthy as an individual and being healthy as a planet is a continuum. It's it's the, it's the same thing. Uh, and, and so we can't be short sighted and we can't be narrowly focused so that we lose sight of, 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 of the larger picture of what is happening in our ecosystem. So. That, from a from a from a purely economic point of view, is is the value proposition. Is that why should I why should I consume with brand A as opposed to brand B? And brand A has to create these these reasons for consumption. So it is because you use my stuff, you will be healthier. Because you use my stuff, you will sleep better at night. Because you will you you will uh, have this peace of mind about how it's made, who made it. And, and what it is doing in the, in the process of it, of you consuming it. Um, because it will, it will do these things for me. Uh, uh, you know, it will keep, keep me healthy, connected and, and, uh, uh, it, it will, it, it will provide me with all these types of, of, uh, of, of services. And, and, and I think those are the things that brands really have to build up, uh, coming out of this pandemic. Um, we're not using the technologies that we have to make these systems better. Uh, I mean, I, I, so I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. We are wearing the, the most expensive, the heaviest, dumb system that we own on our bodies right now. This is the only single-purpose uh, system that we still insist on wearing. Nobody would buy a 10-year-old cell phone. Nobody would pay for it or live with a 10-year-old cell phone. But... Our T-shirts and our, our clothes, last 10 years, it's the same dumb thing, right? It, jeans are jeans, shirts are shirts, sweaters are sweaters. We have made no technology, we've made no effort to, 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 to uh, ask what is the, the lifestyle that our consumers uh, live today and how can we have smart, useful apparel that, that serves them. I mean, yeah. and, and that's why people are paying less and less. It's like the, the price of a 10-year-old cell phone. That's why it's deflationary. Full disclosure, I, I, I am my reaction or my framework, I guess, when I hear people talking about how technology or data is going to save us, my instinctual response is skepticism because I think that often these are we're, you know, we're trying to create a technical solution to a political problem. However, what I think is what I really take away from this conversation and, and where I, I think you've maybe succeeded in opening up my thinking, so to speak, 
is if I if I go back to these three supply chains, I think, and the way that changes in the data supply chain will affect or interact or link with changes in the physical supply chain, as well as changes in the financial supply chain, that I think opens up a lot of space for imagination. And I uh, so thank you. (laughs) No, I, I, I think I think they should be they should bleed into each other and they should not be something we have to artificially segregate. I hope we go away optimistic. I think is is what I, I, I think that that the world will not end because we can't solve the fashion industry problems. Or 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 it, the civilization will collapse because we, we're using too many clothes. Um, I, I I think we'll end, but we'll, it'll be on something less trivial than this. I, I think we can we can collectively solve this problem so that our manufacturers, our workers can live better, uh, and and so that there's more security and partnership in in supply chains, and so that consumers feel good uh, with, with 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 the clothes that they use and use only the clothes that they need. I think all of those all of that is possible. Um, the the challenge I would leave everybody is there's only three roles that any one of us can play in in, in that economy. You can be um, you, you can be a participant, which is just one of the guys in there trying to figure imperfectly trying to figure out how to how to make things work. You can be a victim, so uh, you're you're the guy who is on on the back end uh, uh, suffering because of somebody's poor judgment or bad behavior. Or you can be a bystander in which you, you are just watching uh, from the side and, and not doing anything one way or the other. I think there's only one acceptable role for anybody who is privileged enough to listen to this podcast to decide they want to, to be in the supply chain. And I hope they pick the right role. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. To learn more about our guests and the issues we've chatted about today, sign up for our weekly newsletter on our website, www.manufacturedpodcast.com, or find us on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast. We'd also love to hear your stories and what you think. Collecting with listeners is the most rewarding part of what we do, so please don't be shy. To be the first to find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you left us a review. Leaving a review helps other people find our show. And finally, if you'd like to support us financially, you can make a Patreon donation via our website homepage. Thanks for listening and see you next week.